0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at PiedmontChurch.net. Make sure you keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 9. Uh, as you're turning there or keeping your Bible there, I want to tell you a quick story. So, this past week, a friend of mine who is a pastor uh, called me, and we speak on a fairly regular basis. Uh, and he was just calling me to really celebrate what God had done through the life of one woman in his church. So he starts telling me the story of, of, of a lady. She's a, a boss, as he called her. She's in the C-suite, very successful uh, woman. And she's going, kind of going through life. And all of a sudden, as life happens, you know, a curveball comes. And she finds that she has literally dozens of brothers and sisters that she's never met. Her father, at one point in time in history, was a donor. And this man apparently wanted a lot of money, and so he donated a lot, and they used what he donated a lot. And so uh, something came upon her when she found this out to go, man, I want to reach out to these brothers and sisters. Even if, you know, some would say, oh, they're just half-brothers, half-sisters, whatever. And so she decides to begin reaching out to these people through, uh, you know, I guess whatever bank or whatever they use, I I don't really know. And she actually makes contact with a good number of them. She makes contact officially and begins kind of a, I guess, a friendship beginning with five of these brothers and sisters. And she even invites them to come to her church. Now, she finds that these five brothers and sisters, they, they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They don't go to church. They, didn't, they weren't really raised in church. Some of their histories are very checkered, while others are fairly successful and pretty easygoing, as it would say. These five brothers and sisters show up. They go to church. They uh, sit while my, my buddy 's preaching one Sunday, and uh, it's th- th- they do a, a specific a special thing at their church uh, about every four or five weeks they have a very hard gospel presentation and make sure that it 's very clear to everyone in the room hey here 's exactly what we 're saying with the gospel and then they give a response time. Well, my buddy preaches, and he gives this response time, and he, he says that, you know, he does that moment where every, most pastors, you know, every eye closed, every head bowed kind of thing, and he said there was this one woman in the crowd sitting near this person that he knew, the the the, the boss, and she would not take her eyes off of him, and it was kind of weird because... Uh, when you're up here preaching, you, you kind of make eye contact with people, but you truly, really try not to because it's going to be that same moment when I say something that has nothing to do with you, but you're going to think I'm talking to you because we made eye contact. So we try not to do that, right? But he, he's given this gospel pr- presentation, and this woman is looking directly at his eyes, and like it, it, it feels like no matter where he goes, Mona Lisa is staring, Right? And so he gets through the whole thing. She doesn't come up f- up front or anything like that. About a week goes by, and he, he calls the boss, as he calls her, and just to check in to see, hey, how was your experience? And she begins to cry on the phone. And she begins to share that three out of the five had never gone to church before. And these three out of the five, one of them being the, the woman who was staring at him while he was preaching, connected so well, not just with the scripture, not just with the sermon, but also with the stories that he shared that day, that the Lord had really ordained almost every single word. And now these three people not only want to give their life to Jesus, but they want to start finding a local church where they live and getting plugged in. Now, if that doesn't stir your soul, I don't know what will this morning. But I I open to tell you that by saying that God uses the most impossible stories and shows us that they are absolutely possible. And I want you to think about that as we lean in and launch this series called Shine, where we're kind of highlighting what God has called us to be, and to be the church, to go be a city on a hill, to be a lampstand for His namesake, to be people who shine the glory of God to others. We're to be people who relate this message of what God has done in our lives to others. And this impossible story is just one of many that is being written by him time and time again. I'm sure if I walked through the aisles and we sat down and have a conversation with you, you could pull up a few stories in your life that go, man, there was an impossible thing that was happening here, but somehow God made it possible. There was a car accident at this moment that they should have died, but they didn't. There was a person who was going this direction in life, but somehow God stepped in and they went the other complete and total opposite direction. The impossible somehow becomes possible with God. And that's what we're looking at over the next several weeks, that God makes impossible things possible, and He does it by shining His light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about your life. Think about the, the impossible thing. If somebody walked up to you and said, hey, if you could have one miracle, what would that miracle be? Think about it. Find it. This is one of those opening questions. If you're, ever try, if you're trying to learn how to present the gospel to someone, one of the best ways to do it is to walk up to someone and say, hey, if, if God could do a miracle in your life today, what would the miracle be? And, and challenge them to think beyond Lamborghini right? Because I, I, I think most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we, we wish for way more than a Lamborghini and money. There's, there's something out there that seems impossible, but we need God to make it possible. What we're going to lean into today is how we trust in God when we can't see. That's the title of my sermon, trusting in God when we can't see, because I believe God makes the impossible possible. This past weekend, our MC hung out with the guys from Crossroads Recovery. And as we were sitting around the fire, um, we were talking and you hear stories. And uh, w- one guy was talking about how he had actually been sober before. He had ab- actually been sober for around a year before. I think one of the other guys in the MC actually relayed this story to me. And he had been sober for uh, up to a year. And, I, and I could, as I can only imagine, the question goes, well, what makes this time any different? right? If you had been sober for a year and then relapsed, and now all of a sudden you're sober for five months, what, what gives you hope moving forward? And his answer to the question was, man, I never had Jesus before, and now I have Jesus. You know, what? essentially what he's saying there is what was impossible before is now 100% possible. And what I hope that you and I can see as we stare in the face of impossibility with our life and issues, is that in Christ, all things are possible. And that's what we're going to unpack with this story. That you've, If you've grown up in the church, you've likely read it. If you've been even around the church at all, you've heard this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But what does it mean? What does it look like? When faced with impossibility, how can we have a faith to know that it's possible? How can we have a faith that knows it's possible? Let's unpack this text. Luke chapter 9, beginning on verse 10. It says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Let's stop there. So we want to know the context of what's this feeding the 5,000 is really, why it's important, what's setting up, what's the moods in people's hearts, what's really happening. So, before this text, in Luke's passage, we see that you know, there's a moment where we talked about last week where he highlights Herod, and he talks about John the Baptist being dead, and we'll get to that in just a second. But right before that is when Jesus sends his apostles out to proclaim the good news and to heal. And something very important about this sending is he sends them, and he makes it very clear, with nothing. He sends them to a place that they're unfamiliar with, And he sends them to a people with nothing. If you look back a few verses at the beginning of chapter 9, in verse 3, it says, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not even have a change of clothes. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. He sends them with nothing, and yet they return, we see in this passage. It doesn't say they returned, you know, missing a limb. It doesn't say that they returned hungry. So the, the assumption here is that they left with nothing, but the Lord met every need that they could have. That, that, that's what is implied in this text. These, these apostles were sent away on a mission with nothing, but yet somehow through all of the things, God provided. Now keep that in mind of what's going on in this scene. So they've returned, they've told Jesus everything, and it says in the latter part of verse 10, He took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, remember, they've just found out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. This was someone that they would have liked, loved, they would have felt a deep connection to. So this is certainly a picture of mourning. This is a picture of sadness. This is a picture of, I mean, let's get away from all of the stuff, but it's also a picture of Sabbath rest. It's also a picture that in the middle of your busyness, in the mi- middle of their busy schedules and all the things going on in their life, what did Jesus want to teach them to slow down? And maybe you need to hear that this morning. You're moving into a busy season, right? This is the season of Christmas parties and school functions and this thing and that thing. Man, i gotta go, I got to go buy this toy or this piece at this price. I had to wake up at 3.5 a.m. you know, a couple days ago to get a Black Friday special. And it's just go, 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 go is what we hear from the world. And maybe, maybe, what the Lord is trying to whisper to you is rest, slow, Sabbath. There's a lot of resources out there about what this looks like. If you're interested in learning more about what a Sabbath rest looks like, come talk to me. I'll give you some, some resources. But in this moment, you, you see these, these men have returned on what probably felt at times like an impossible mission that was now made possible through Jesus' provision. They've returned they found out their friend is dead, and so they retreat. And as they're retreating, what happens? All of a sudden, verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Sabbath rest doesn't mean quit ministry. I need you to remember that. There's been times in life where I've gone, I'm gonna turn my phone off, I'm gonna disconnect. I'm not doing ministry today. And in those moments is when God has shown up in my life and said, oh yeah? Think twice. We are to minister to our souls by resting in Jesus, by resting in his spirit. But sometimes rest looks like service. And Jesus pulls his apostles away to rest, to mourn, to grieve. and In the middle of that grieving, people who are in need show up. Does Jesus go, no, nah, you know, a little busy today, bro. We're busy doing a bunch of nothing. No, he doesn't. He shows up for them, meaning he'll show up for you. There's never a time in your life where he's too busy. There's never a time in your life where it's too much. There's never a time in your life where he doesn't care. He cares. Now, he may not give you the answer you want. He may not point you in the direction that you're hoping for. But he's going to give you the answer and the direction that you need. So have faith. So the crowds show. And this is the beginning of the impossible problem. The disciples begin to think practically. And I think they say something like you and I would probably say. So get down to verse 12. It says, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Hey, you know, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and to the countryside to find a lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Now, to me, this seems like a, an okay statement. It seems like one of those things where we're planning a church event, and we're just putting together logistics, right? Man, we got all these people here. Ah, we don't really need to feed them, man. They, they got money. They can go out over here and... Man, Popeye's down the road, Taco Bell. Let's just send them away for like an hour and a half and then bring them back and it'll all be good. And I think in some ways on face value, it's like, oh, this is okay. But I think in other ways, what Jesus is doing to his apostles is he's testing them. Think about where they just came from. They were just sent to to do ministry with nothing the Lord provided. Now they are still ministering to people. And the first opportunity that they get to, hey, let's send these folks away and deal with the problem later and get our own rest, they take that opportunity. And what I need you to know is that these next words from Jesus are not as nice as they seem. If you break down the Greek language, what he looks at them and says in this sentence is actually very harsh. Think turning over tables. Verse 13, he says to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> Walk up to the Messiah. Like, you've seen him do some cool stuff. He's provided for you. I mean, let's just send these folks away. They, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of in the wilderness. There's not a lot to provide here. I'm just, I'm just looking out logistically. This is what makes sense. God, right? And he looks back at them and says, essentially... Ye of little faith, didn't I just provide for you? Didn't you see me raise somebody from the dead? Haven't you seen me heal people? Haven't you seen me cast demons out? And you're over here worried about some bread and water. Really? I've turned water into wine. I mean, like, are you getting this? Like, this is what's happening. These jokers who have seen all of this, I'm like, Jesus, I just don't know what we can do. Too many people. And he's looking at them. I, can, I, I can't even like completely imagine his righteous anger, but yet somehow no attitude. Like, you know what I mean? Like no like sinful attitude. Because I'd be like, bro, are y'all you're fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Next, we got, we got any other apostles we can we can take on here. And he looks at them and says, guys, you give him something to eat. Recall through all of the miracles that they have witnessed themselves. They had gone through these houses, and the Lord provide. They were fishing earlier. They couldn't catch anything. They run to Jesus. Hey, it's time to go. We're not catching anything. Throw your nets over. They catch an abundant amount of fish. That's just in their little small window of recollection. Miracle after miracle. Let's go through the entire Scripture that they would have known, right? A lot of them would have been raised on the stories of God, which they would have sort of connected Jesus as God. Now, obviously, there's some struggles in their faith at this point, but they're recognizing that Jesus is more than Elijah. He's more than John the Baptist. He's not exactly the Messiah we were thinking, but He's definitely the Messiah because we're going to go out and do these things that He's calling us to do. So let's go back. What did God do in the Old Testament? Well, I mean, there's a a moment where Elisha has to feed a 100 people in 2 Kings. And all he's got is a couple of barley loaves and, you know, like a little bit of water or something. And what happens? God provides. Think about the people roaming around the wilderness. You remember this story? Did God provide? He made it rain, bro. Manna. From the sky, it's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, live and in color. They know these stories. They recognize the character of God, but yet they struggle to see it here and now. So we go back to our question. We look at their situation. When faced with impossibility, how can we have a faith that knows it's possible? Three ways. Here's the first one. We have to remember God's character. We have to remember God's character. They had lost sight of this. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looks at them and says, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, we we struggle to believe in the impossible because we struggle to believe that God is still moving. We hear these stories and a lot of times we just put them in the fairy tale world. It's like Shrek sitting over here, right? We say we believe. We sing songs like God show us your glory and do we actually expect his glory to be shown? Do we expect him to show up? We forget God's character. And we have to remember his character. How, how, how can we remember his character? Well, there's there's, there's an, an abundance of ways. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear people talk about what's the purpose of the church? This is one of them. See, we need brothers and sisters in Christ to help us remember the stories of the impossible being made possible. See, some of us have stories that are just outlandish. That they're ridiculous. My wife tells a story of how God gave us a house one time. That's a thing, right? He literally gave me a house, us, a house. Some of you have stories of difficulty and tragic loss, but all of a sudden God showed up in some amazing way. Infertility, all, there's all there goes through the line. Story after story after story of this can't happen. A doctor saying this can't be. A friend of mine is a pastor. He had three children, all three children, something like 99% chance to have some rare, crazy disease where they weren't going to live. All three children born, living today, nothing wrong with them. Oh, well, science messed up. Three times in a row? If that was true, that science messed up. Now, I wouldn't trust science very much, right? But w- what if it wasn't that science messed up, but God did the possible in his mind, right? What if God showed up in an amazing way we could go through remember the story of the boss these people who were far from God they had no connection to the church they really had never heard the gospel all of a sudden she finds out she's got a slew of brothers and sisters and she picks up the phone and reaches out I mean I'm an extrovert but I ain't doing that right that's a big thing let me call these random people I have no idea who they are and be like hey I'm your sister that would be weird if I said that but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's random. And then not only am I going to take that step, but I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to try to build a relationship with them. And God moves through those impossible stories and makes them possible. The first thing we have to do is we have to remember God's character. If we want to see the impossible made possible, we've got to remember His character. The second thing we have to do is we have to value His Word. How can we expect to remember God's character if we are not reminding ourselves of His character through His Word. There's a a line of thought out there that God speaks directly to me. And that is true. God does speak to you. But the primary mode of revelation that God uses today is this. And so if God speaks to you and He says something to you that doesn't correspond or correlate with this, I would argue that maybe it wasn't God. Because this is the ultimate and definite word of the Lord. It is without error. It cuts through us. It penetrates us like nothing else I've ever read. And so if we want to remember God's character, if we want to bask in the glory of who He is, we need to go back and let His word wash over us. And be a tree planted by a stream. This is how it begins in your life. To see the impossible made possible is to remember God's character and to value His Word. We can do this through quiet times, as Jonathan mentioned earlier. You have more resources today than ever before to be washed by the Word. I have an app called Dwell. I wake up in the morning and it reads Scripture over me with background noises. I can change the voice and all these different things. and I can just let the Word of the Lord wash over my life and over my kid's life and over my bride. This is who He is. He wants to speak into our lives. We can pull out our phone and listen to a million and one sermons and podcasts on times two speed, right? So if somebody speaks a little too slow for you, speed it up. Somebody speaks a little too fast, slow it down. You want to go back and listen again? Hit back. You know what I mean? Like, look at all these resources you have to allow the Word of the Lord in your life. Are you taking these opportunities? In the car, 15 minutes. Times two speed, that's a 30-minute sermon. Boom. You know what I mean? You miss one of our Sundays? Pull up our podcast. You want to listen to somebody else? Pull up their podcast. Like you have more opportunities to have the Word of God in your life today than at any other time before. Are we taking this opportunity to value His Word? MCs, when we get together as family gatherings, when when we're together, we're opening Scripture, we're praying for each other, we're lifting each other up in the Lord. If you're not in an MC, if you're not in a small group thing somewhere in your life where other Christians are pouring into you, I would say you are greatly missing out on the church. Sitting here listening to me is probably very good for you. You know what's great for you? Being in a small group. And it's not an either or. I think if you look at the principles of Scripture, what, what he teaches in his word, it is a both and. And so if you're going, man, I don't know if I believe in the impossible of God in the everyday things of my life, I would then have you go through this checklist and going, how are you remembering his character? How are you valuing his word? How are you gathering with his people? How are you doing the things that he's told you to do in order to see and receive the impossible made possible in your life? And i would be willing to bet you, you're not checking a lot of those boxes in a good way. It's what I'm, you know, don't get all crazy on me. We need to value his word. So the first thing, in order to see the impossible made possible in our life, we have to see and remember God's character. We have to value his word. And the third one, this is where the disciples were greatly lacking. You have to be active. You have to be active. To remember his character, to value his word, and to do nothing is to have a faith that is dead, is what James says. Keep that in mind. It doesn't have a faith that's sick. A faith that's backslidden. What does it say? Faith without works is dead. So when we pull Jonathan up here, we ask him to talk about our missions team. I love he went vertical and horizontal. It's amazing. If the horizontal isn't happening, one may argue that is is the vertical even real. You have to ask yourself that question, because the calling in your life is not to be the best you that there is. The calling in your life is to die to self and let Jesus live through you and to shine. Didn't you have a sermon one time you said something about shimmer? Is that a thing? Glisten. Sorry. That just hit me. I thought about spirit fingers and glistening. Anyway. We have to be active. The disciples were taken the easy way out. A problem arises, an impossible feat shows up, and they take the easy way out. When a problem comes in your life, what do you do? Do you have a process to try to remember God's character, to lean in his word, to get with the church and then to be active, or do you just kind of haphazardly try to tackle this thing or find A route that might seem very logistical logistically straightforward and the right answer how much faith comes in this situation when you have a problem how can we be active there's a lot of different ways i would say the church is the primary avenue for you to be active first and foremost See, if, if you're one of those people who, oh man, if you say the church is the primary you know, avenue, what, what about the scattering? Well, okay, if you scatter without a gathering, you know what, you'll find yourself on an island and empty and alone, and you won't have support. And that scattering will soon turn into fracturing. And it'll soon turn into disgruntled faith and anger and disappointment. And then One day, you may just turn into a really good humanitarian who left the Lord a long time ago. Just in the service, the hopes of doing good service and good works. The gathering and the scattering are connected. It was our goal this year as a church to hit 250 people as as a church. We we missed the goal. But that's okay. Okay. Because what we did see this year is we saw great kingdom growth. We saw 12 people baptized in our church. We saw growth. People from coming from no church to our church. People coming from no situation where there was a background or a relationship with the Lord to Piedmont. And that's a win. That's an amazing thing that a church out here, you know, on kind of West Macon, Thomaston Road area, went from a couple of years ago, 50 people to now like 175 people who have a seat at the table. That's a great thing in the Lord. And what we need to do as a church is we need to continue to shine. We need to continue to reach people for the glory of God because that's what he's called us to do. He didn't call us to come and make a really comfortable place, a place that has the best check-in or the best donuts and coffee and the best preaching. All of those things are really great additives, and and benefits, and things that are kind of needed. But the purpose of our gathering is to encourage each other, to be locked together, so that when we scatter into this world, we can go and shine like God has called us to. Because when we remember God's character, when we value His Word, we will be active, and we will see the hand of God feed 5,000 with something that we thought was impossible. This is what he's called you to do. He's called you to serve. He's called you to love. He's called you to invest. And so maybe this Christmas season, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to analyze your schedule, your values, the things that you hold dear, and go, what does my 2024 hold? What does the rest of this year hold? How how could God move in my life Maybe you've got an impossible feat right in front of you right now. And you're going, before I think about serving, I, I need to see God make the impossible possible. And what I'm telling you is the impossible becomes possible when you start doing the possible things right in front of you. Sometimes the impossible begins by doing the possible things right in front of you. And that begins by remembering God's character, valuing his word, and being active as a follower. You can do this. You can run after Jesus with all that you have, with reckless abandon, and I promise you, you won't regret it because he makes the impossible possible in your life. Let me pray. Lord, I just ask that this Christmas season, you'll slow our hearts and you'll allow us to begin to see what matters to you. And you'll turn our idols, our, our hurts, our, our habits, our hangups, the things that get in the way of running this race for you, that you'll turn them aside. You'll, you'll as we sang earlier, that you'll, you'll strip them from us. That they will bow to the King Jesus. That your spirit will fill us And we will remember your character, we'll value your word, and we will live a faith that is active. There's a lot of impossible stories in the room. Surgeries, sickness, financial woes, all, all, all sorts of things that just feel like we can't do this on our own. God, by the power of your blood, will you show each and every one of us that the impossible can be possible in your name? That there's hope. That the fractured relationship doesn't have to stay fractured. It can be made whole. And we remember this primarily, first and foremost, through the fractured relationship that we had with Father. That when sin came in, our relationship with you was severed. This world was broken, and sin and death reigned over us. But when you sent your Son as a child who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and said, anyone who believes in me, you will be restored and redeemed. When we believe in that, when we believe in who you are, our relationship can be restored with the Father. We can see things go from death to life. We can see the impossible made possible in you. God, help us t- to walk in that truth. Help, it, help us t- for, for that, that truth to be something that impacts us on the daily. Not just a thought, not just a really a, a cool memory, but God, something that moves our hearts to be better parents, to be better spouses, to be better friends, to be better MC family members, church members, citizens. Help us to be a people who live like the light that you've called us to be. It's in your son's name I pray. And God's people said,